here we are. This is so fun. How many of you have never heard a Shine podcast? Okay. We'll have to get you connected because they're amazing. So I am a podcast junkie. The only podcast that I want to listen to the minute it comes into my feed is the Shine podcast. It is so wonderful. And every week I'm in tears or I'm laughing. It's getting to know you guys. And what a gift to us. What a gift to our body. And so Beth and Kate, who dream this up and do all the hard work, and there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes, scheduling everybody and editing. What fun. But today you get a glimpse behind the scenes of the interview process. And we are so excited to have Mel Genova, our in-house mental health expert. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a good. So here we go. You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Where's our signs that say, audience clapping? <laughs> Thank you. This is kind of a little false advertising because we're usually here in messy bonds and sweatpants, sweatpants and socks. So they didn't give me the memo about wearing a flannel today, but thanks for coming and being here. It's going to be fun to be, do this live. We'll take some questions at the end if we have time Ooh. for Miss Mel, but you guys ready? All right. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Bet. It's Cat. And we are here with Mel, our resident expert on mental health. Welcome, Miss Melanie Good. Let's give it up for Melanie. Melanie has been on our podcast three times. She was on the month of love talking about divorce, and she thought we were cruel to have her on, but her story is on in season one, and then she came back in season two, and we talked about levels of communication, and she was also live last year on the Shine podcast, so I yes. think this is, her, this is her, fourth, her fourth podcast with us. So good. So happy to have you here. Let me give you a little rundown on Mel. Melanie is a licensed independent social worker who has over 25 years in the field. She holds a bachelor's and a master's in social work and has worked with the chronically mentally ill adults in the community and residence setting. She's worked in addiction care through groups at the county jail and after school programming. She's worked with adoption and wraparound services for high-risk kids and families and outpatient counseling, and she was a clinic director at PsychCare for nine years. She's had her own private practice since 2011. She just recently, in January, stepped down in her position as clinic director so she could go full-time in her private counseling, and she's booked. She's amazing. Mel's the mother of three adult children. She has one son-in-law. And after being married for 23 years, she's been single for seven. She also has three furry kids, Pooter, his real name is Jonah, but we don't call him that. Winston, who's really her grand dog, but I think he's more attached to her than her son. And her cat, 
Elsie. In her free time, she loves to travel, take road trips, chase sunsets, hike, kayak, and although she lives in town, she has a country garden and, in my opinion, is a girl boss in the DIY projects and lawn care department. So happy to have you back here. Thanks, Beth. She's a little nervous. Beth gave me all the rules. She wants us on a couch. Okay. (laughs) So, Mel, tell us how you got involved and how you became an, an expert in the mental health field. Okay, Beth, so I'm very uncomfortable with the word expert, as you know. Can anybody be an expert? 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours. I've done 10,000 hours. I believe that. Yeah. But I, I would like to rather tell a story of how I've been honored to sit in this position that I'm in right now doing counseling. Can I do that instead? Yep. Okay. Because the journey took like 20 years. And maybe it's surprising to get to the end when you wait 20 years. And I can't say I was like sitting around realizing I was waiting. But when I got to the end and looked back, I said, wow, that was 20 years in the making. So I originally went to college right after high school and ended up in Kent State, graduating there with an associate degree. And after that, I took this break for quite a long time to have three children. And while I was doing that, I was working at the counseling center in Columbiana County part-time doing adult mental health. And I continued to study and to grow personally. And there was a big desire in my heart to one day have Christian counseling services available in this area in the Valley that were also faith integrated. So that just kept burning inside me, and I kept learning, and I kept growing. And when Mitchell, my youngest, went back to, well, when he went to kindergarten, so when he was five, I went back to YSU. And at that point, I'd worked quite a while in adult mental health, so finishing up my bachelor's degree was pretty easy because I'd been doing that work for probably about seven years at that point. I had this plan that by the time Mitch would graduate from high school, I could maybe be done with my degree. So I just started to take a few classes, work part-time, raise these little kids. Three years later, I was done with my bachelor's degree, and I was like, hmm, that wasn't so bad. I think then Mitchell would have been, you know, going to third grade. I'm still on track. So I um, said, okay, I'm going to apply to this advanced standing program at Akron. Just because it's cheaper if you can go one year, that's easier. And I'll just go one year if they happen to let me in. But they probably won't let me in. You know, I have lots of time because I'm on that 12-year plan. So I applied, and they accepted me. So I was like, well, I have to go because it's one year. That's shaving off a whole year of school. So I graduated in May of 2007 from YSU, and I started in June 2007 at Akron and drove back and forth there all year, continued to raise kids, worked in adoption, drove all over the state of Ohio, placing kids and working with adoptive families. Did that year of schooling, graduated in 2008. So I was like, hmm, well, I don't know, Mitchell's like in fourth grade now or fifth grade. And so I just went to work, working part-time with families, Columbiana County, and then continuing to raise my kids. 
And by 2011, 2010, the kids were older and I was able to invest more into work. And so I ended up with a position at PsychCare where I was finally now doing outpatient counseling. Now this whole time, I still had this vision that maybe one day I would get through all these steps that it would take to be able to be a counselor and to join with a church and to work in collaboration with the church for the, our area to bring Christian counseling to this area. I kind of also got that dream through New Life. You guys know I've worked with New Life, listening to them for like 20 years, and they have counselors all over the United States, and you can join with them and be on their network. So that was really a lot of the fire inside of me to actually be a New Life counselor, to be on their network. I used to tell you to get the dot. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, can you tell us what is New Life? New Life's a counseling, a Christian counseling ministry. They do a daily radio program. It's on Christian radio, on YouTube, or on their newlife.com. And they just do a lot, a lot of ministry to people in Christian principles and healing and all of that kind of stuff. So I just listened to them forever and wanted to be a part of their network and have that here because many people drive an hour or more away to have a New Life counselor or to have a Christian counselor. We forgot to say this in your bio, but Mel is a New Life counselor. There's a dot on the map, a little pin on the map in Columbiana because Mel's here. So give it up for Mel for that. So just to finish fast, I'll be fast. I went to uh, Crossroads in 2010 and sent an email to the secretary and I said, you don't know me. I've been sitting here for a year. I'm interested in talking to you guys about counseling and having a collaboration with you and me. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but it's a dream I've had for a long time. And two weeks later, they emailed me back and they said, come in and talk. So I went in, we sat down and we talked, and we were all on board with each other about the idea of having Christian faith-based integrated counseling available as a resource to the community. So I started there, and they sent me one client, and it's built from there. After about a year, I would walk around the building and say, I need a better spot than just meeting in the boardroom, and I would visualize having a counseling suite in this one area I found off to the side. And I went to the pastor after a year, and I said, hey, I've been walking around this building, and I go up to this spot once a month, and I visualize what it would be like to be here and have a counseling suite. Can I move into that area? And he said, absolutely, and they cleaned out this area, and I've been there for most of 10 years in this place where where my clients can feel safe and private off to the side where we have our own space and that's what we're doing. And so it's available, it's been growing. I never advertise or do anything like that. Pastors refer to me. I don't know even know who these pastors are, but that was my vision that we would have something available here for the church community and we do. Thank you for that. All right, so now that we have heard your background, you expert you, can we talk about, in your opinion, why do you think our society is currently in a mental health crisis? Yes. Okay, (laughs) let's do that. Since you use the word currently, I do feel there's, there's lots of things, but there is collective trauma going on from COVID, no doubt. That in my opinion, which is clearly my opinion, came from several things. I think one of the main things is fear was the strategy to motivate. That's extremely traumatizing. 
to use fear, but it's very effective. It's what I would call a bad parenting technique to use fear to motivate. If you remember back when that was all rolling out, and Beth would know because I would vocalize to her and my friends like, this is terrible. How they're doing this is terrible. Because you know with your children that when they're facing something difficult, you tell them, it's going to be okay. Here's what we're going to do and such. And you, you take your leadership in their life to reassure them that I know where we're going and we're going to get there. That wasn't what was happening. There was frequent changes. So it created too much too quickly, which is trauma. Isolation. So we were encouraged to be apart instead of come together in our time of need, which is traumatizing. There was prolonged change in routine. In routines, getting out of routines, it messes with people's rhythms and it's traumatizing. And there was huge amounts of uncertainty. I call it parenting, but there was no leadership creating comfort. So I think that's why we're a lot of where we're at currently. I also think increased stress and demand in our lives as a society and probably as a world. So like with work and finances and relationships, we have an angry society. There's lots of adversity everywhere. So this is definitely impacting mental health. There's a lack of being in nature and exercise. One of the best things in COVID, and I told Beth this too, was all the kids and families that crawled out of their houses and were roaming the streets in the parks. It was amazing. That hadn't happened for many years. Everybody's inside with electronics sitting. Indulgence in the electronic activity in the social media is wreaking havoc on the young people and probably the old people. There's a breakdown of community stability, long-term relationships and support. It's all being broke down. I read a study. No, I didn't read the study. I heard this study where when they looked at when attached garages started to be a thing on houses and how it changed the dynamics of the neighborhoods and how familiar everybody was and friendly, where people used to come in from work at the end of the day, they'd see their neighbor coming in, they may sit on the porch and talk or yell across. Once everybody could drive in their garage and shut the door, it drastically began to change neighborhoods. I had a college professor who taught about that. He was talking about the attachment of garages and the uh, invention of air conditioning. Mm. That was another thing that we, we were taught, that not the need to be outside. You can stay inside and be comfortable at all times. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about the social media aspect. You said kids, but I think it's, it's gone beyond that because how many of you, my daughter's better at it than I am sometimes. She scolds me about social media. What's oh. it doing to us, though? Oh, killing us. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was the study that I read when the iPhone came out. They saw a significant correlation in the decline of teens' mental health after the iPhone started to get in the hands of all the kids. So I think that how that affects, and there, there actually are studies you could read now on the effects of social media on people's and their mental health. But I think just informally speaking, we're spending a lot of time comparing our insides to everybody else's outsides. And not only just their outsides, but the painting of false narratives. I mean, personally, I don't like seeing other people's negative stuff on Facebook. I want to see happy things. But if you're feeling really sad or 
traumatized or going through a hard time, and then you just see all my happy stuff, you're comparing your inside experience to my happy stuff. That's definitely a lot of it. The reliance on likes to validate worth, and that's a thing. I don't know what's, how that's going in the adult world, but I know that that's a significant thing in the teen world. Kids can get really caught into that, and they're posting stuff, and then they're watching, and then they're really beating themselves up when they only got X amount of likes or not any likes. They're spending time at night doing this. This is like the witching hour of social media, 8 to 10 or 11 at night when they're posting up all this stuff and watching to see what's going to happen on their likes. It creates this increased focus on appearance and status and possessions. And so this anxiety and this rat race, this running and this striving, it's really disconnecting everybody from real life, putting us out of connection with real humans and in this false reality. It's void of true intimacy. It's void of true feedback. Likes aren't true feedback. And I feel like it works against what we've been talking about all weekend. I mean, we're talking about rest and quiet and, you know, the world that we live in is diametrically opposed to what mm -hmm. we preach in rest and peace and quiet. Like it fights, really fights that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, and I do see this in the adult world, get a lot of things mixed up with if, if you're not my friend on social media, are we friends? Or how if you've been unfriended or people clean out their social media because they haven't talked much, it becomes this big personal thing that you didn't even know was occurring. <laughs> They've blocked me. Yeah, and what a mess it makes in our brains. And I feel at the same time that as we've been getting used to all of this, you know, online friends, online connection, like we layer by layer lose depth. What is depth anymore in relationship if, if I have 650 friends? But no one to really call at 2 o'clock in the morning when you yeah. need them. Like what is the responsibility of a true friend? Like we lose that question. Like what is friendship? Does, do people know what it is? Yeah. Exactly. Like do kids know about that? Do you guys know about that? Calling people at 2. They do. Actually, they're on their phones at 2 in the morning. This is a thing. <laughs> My kid better not be. <laughs> okay, so Mel, give us your top five tips for listeners out there that feel like they could be struggling with their mental health. What are some things that we can do to be healthier? Okay, let's see. Turn off electric devices and social media. Top Why one, do we want to do that? We just talked about it. <laughs> So being more mentally healthy, get into regular relationships and interaction with real human beings, get into nature and get outside in the woods, look at the sky, go barefoot. There's stuff in the earth that's good for us. Yeah. Dig in, garden, dig in the garden and breathe mm. fresh air. Yep. There's this little strategy and I thought it was fascinating listening to everybody speak this weekend because we didn't talk among ourselves, but the same theme is coming out and I found it fascinating listening to everybody and then knowing what was in my notes, but there's in mindfulness and meditation, so just like clearing your mind. I was reading this, uh, if it was a study or what it was, but anyway, they came up with this number that if you could spend 16 minutes a day just sitting with no stimulation and just let your thoughts go wherever they may, within seven days, you'll begin to feel more centered and calmer. That Six sounds really easy. It's like time. 16 minutes a day. 
But if you remember Megan, last night she said she went out there, she was out there for like two minutes. She's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> right. If you even sit for one minute and put your timer on, you'll be like, how long is this? We, we might have to practice and build up to that. Well, right. And I feel like it's come out in every talk this weekend. So I think that it's really fascinating. And it must be something that God's speaking to this group of people because it's been in everything and yeah. no one did collaborate to say, hey, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, I've even noticed how it has, I think social media has changed my brain because I used to be like, I could power through books and videos and documentaries. And now I'm like, three seconds in, I'm like, yeah. And I've heard that our attention span is less than a goldfish attention span. Like seven seconds is our attention span now. And a goldfish is eight. Our attention spans are shrinking, and goldfishes are more than ours now by a second or something. They're not on social media. That's right. That's why theirs are all They're in nature all the time. I do want to say this because I think this is important and kind of serious on maintaining your mental health. That is to tell your secrets and to tell your story to a trusted, safe friend or counselor to not carry your story alone. And I thought the girls did fabulous this weekend on their vulnerability and not sugarcoating and not just fluffing off real struggle. I thought they did a great model of telling the story. And if you want a deeper dive into that and you weren't here for last year's podcast session, we did get a little deeper into that. Go back to last October if you're interested. It's on the podcast and the idea of telling secrets mm -hmm. or telling, yeah. telling things to people. What does that do? For everyone out here who's can, like horrified, we, like you want me to be vulnerable? Can we do another podcast on that? That's a long Oh, okay. <laughs> we could suffice it to say for today, it's very important. One of the things that I appreciate about people coming on the podcast and sharing their stories with us, and I was talking to someone last night at dinner, they were like, well, my story's going to be a little long. I'm like, those are the great ones because there's so many people out there. They know their life and they know how they've lived. And when we, we show up at church and we look good, you, you behave, you know, you stop fighting with your husband before you turn the corner, you know, put your face on and walk in here. And so everybody, everybody looks good on Sunday for the most part. And you could be a hot mess, but... What I appreciate about people being vulnerable and sharing their stories on the podcast is people are listening and they, they feel like, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, I never knew that about them because we, it's kind of like social media. We have perceptions of people when we're trying to hold it all together and you're comparing your, what you know about the deepest, darkest nightmares of your life compared to the face people show up with. And so I think hearing other people be vulnerable helps us to feel like, I guess I can share my story because I'm going to be accepted. I'm not the only one. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely part of sharing the story. There's lots of elements to sharing the story, and it's you facing your own grief, you know, and facing your feelings, which I think we'll get into some of that too. But anyway, to share your story um, to know that sharing your story and sh means also sharing, like the ladies did here this weekend, what's been going on. I just wanted to tell these two more things. I'll do it fast. Learn what's your top seven tips? Yeah. This is number six. Learn how to regulate your affect. So if, if your emotions, if your mood is too high or it's too low, learning to know your body and what to do to make changes to that and understand this is 
really important to understand, and this is in part of it, that there is a lot of suffering in this life and that suffering is not a sign that you're sinning. I wanted people to know that. If you're suffering as a result of your sin, then yeah, it's because you're sinning. But the world's a difficult place to live in, so we suffer. We've seen this weekend suffering not always a result of sin. Last point. Wait, go back to okay. how do we regulate? Felt rushed. Oh, no, I didn't. How do you regulate? That's probably another podcast. She's, she's getting herself a job here. <laughs> I want you to know for the sake of today that you can regulate. You know, like, so if a mood, if someone's too manicky, if they, if they run too high, they don't sleep, they don't rest, they don't eat, there's a way to regulate that. And if you're too low and too depressed, or even in the too high can be too anxious, too worrisome, or if you're too low, too unmotivated, that there is a way to regulate that. And it starts with awareness, people feeling in their body, what is going on with me, and then knowing that that can be shifted. And then I'll have to explain that all at longer depth. Okay. And then learning boundaries. These are my top seven. Ooh, talk to us about boundaries. Yes. And that was a complete sentence that you have to know where you stop and someone else begins. This is all to have good mental health. It's pretty much what you talked about today, creating healthy work-life balance. There's time to work and a time to rest. If you can't achieve balance, then I recommend that you seek a counselor to understand why. Mm. Because you can be stuck. Mm -hmm. So you could figure it out. Take care of addictions, take care of toxic relationship dynamics, compulsive behaviors, all of that stuff. If you address, not if, address chronic depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues through counseling and medication if needed, and be loving towards yourself. Refuse to be a bad friend to yourself. Mm-hmm. No more self-condemnation. Those are my top, like, seven times two points. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. And I, I think it's important for people in the church to hear that medication's okay. I think we, we probably went the church, the big church, Jesus should be enough. And there was condemnation for folks that were on medication. And I'm glad to see the church changing their mind about that because I think there was a lot of undue suffering that we put people through when we said medicine was bad and all you need is Jesus. Can you talk to us a little bit about medicine? Yeah, can I do it in the, what advice do you have for people with loved ones with mental health issues? Mm -hmm. Because I made a whole list of do's and don'ts. Okay. Is that Kate's question? No. (laughs) (laughs) What's your question, Kate? My next question, you have commented, and I hope it's okay for me to say this, you've commented in the past that when people of faith, like Christians, come in for counseling, sometimes they can be the most difficult to counsel. In comparison to Joe, who walks in off the street, and he doesn't have all of the religious background that maybe Christians do coming into you, Can you talk about that? What does the church at large need to change or acknowledge about this? I actually think the church at large has made tremendous strides. I'm so glad you're saying that. Mm -hmm. Okay. The church at large, you know, I mean, there's still unat-large churches. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But many churches actually in the area are starting to have professional counseling available. Lots of churches in the country are starting to see the need for a counseling department for things that go beyond pastoral counseling, you know, more into mental health issues and in deeper into relationship 
complexities with trauma and all of that. And medication is more accepted. Mental health is more known to be not just an error of character. So the church is doing better. But the clients that that have been more challenging from the faith community, often because unknowingly they may disallow themselves to feel or acknowledge their full range of feelings, because that's not, they feel spiritual Mm -hmm. or they're being weak. And also I see people maybe from the faith community have excessive amounts of guilt about having feelings where sometimes people outside of the faith community just accept it, that bad things happen, I feel bad, or I just feel bad and I don't know why, and they don't have that extra layer of guilt, I must be failing as a Christian. So that's a thing. I see people in the faith community use faith to avoid suffering like grief and suffering. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we could avoid suffering, that would be fabulous. But what I mean to say is in grief, there's suffering. And then we try to use faith by maybe over-spiritualizing. Well, God must have wanted this to happen, or he'll work it all out for the good, which not untrue. I fully believe God will work all things out. He can use everything. Nothing will be wasted. Mm-hmm. But we use that to cover over, to stuff down, to not do the process that we're ultimately really just scared of and uncomfortable with. Christians come in with a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts, like big books of them. (laughs) And so I should feel this, or I shouldn't feel that, or I should do this, and I shouldn't do that. And then they're so locked up in the shoulds, they're not accessing, like, what's going on, why they're not you know, the trauma that they've experienced, the big fear of being judged. So they go into hiding, Mm -hmm. hiding from your support system, which is, you know, part of the tell your story so you're not hiding and tell your story so you're processing and allowing the pain to move through your body. If you're not telling it, you're not processing it. If you're not acknowledging it, you're not processing it. And people, Christians in the faith community, pressure themselves to forgive before going through the grief process. They want to avoid letting the feelings move through. They want to jump straight to forgiveness. You can't. So you end up just stuffing, 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 which then creates the difficulties of anxiety, depression, panic disorder, addiction to numb, those kinds of things. I guess also the last one would be back to boundaries. Christian or people in the faith community really struggle to implement healthy boundaries in the name of forgiveness. Yeah, that's good. And then they're interrupting the natural consequences to someone else's sin against them. Maybe often turning a blind eye to evil in their own lives, in things that are happening. It's almost like they're colluding with the evil instead of taking a stand for righteousness. I talk with people a lot about this, that when you have to set boundaries, you're really taking a stand for righteousness. What is right and what is good? When you put in a boundary against someone else's sinful behavior in your life. That's very different than being the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Like that's just pointing out this is what you're doing. But it's saying I am loved by God too and I'm worth protecting from the effects of evil. So you get to the point of forgiveness once you go through those feelings. But forgiveness does not mean reconciliation all the time. Not all the time. We're allowed to not reconcile at times. Yeah. At times, it would be extremely healthier to not reconcile. So did you guys get that for us, for our mental health? Walk outside, barefoot, dig in the garden, regulate, set boundaries, get good sleep, have quiet time. How about 
when we're perfectly fine, but we have other people in our life. <laughs> I say that facetiously. When we have loved ones or friends that we can see they're struggling, how do we help our loved ones when they're struggling? And they're not going to listen to our advice to go outside and take a walk barefoot. That is part of the struggle. They're not going to listen to your advice. But I came up with a list of do's and don'ts. I thought this was one of the good ways to address this. But the first thing I want to say is that mental and behavioral health issues probably aren't spiritual issues. They probably aren't. I'm not saying 100% they aren't, but they probably aren't. And there's likely a different root or a root cause. Okay, so then when you're dealing with your friends, your loved ones, your family, and we're in the faith community, part of our historical nature was to go to their sin. I mean, if you have sin, again, you are going to have problems. But what you're talking about with the mental and behavioral health of today. So it doesn't mean that God and faith cannot be part of the solution. They absolutely can be part of the solution. I'm just saying there's probably a root deeper inside their humanity. Okay, so here's my do's and don'ts. Don't take their behavior towards you personally. That's hard sometimes. Right. Because when you're dealing with mental health and behavioral health issues, you're going to have behavior. You know, one is going to have behavior. So don't take it personally, but do have very good boundaries because abusive behavior is still abusive behavior, even if it isn't intended to be abusive behavior. So you could have somebody who's flashing out at you because they're dealing with something and that's abuse that could be emotional physical abuse there can be and what do we do when we feel like that's happening to us you do have to have boundaries you and you have to be able to call out the behavior that's occurring like how it's making you feel and what you need so just to skip through like very fast what it would look like in the real world is hey i want to hear what you have to say but i can't when you're talking to me in that way I'm going to leave the room. I'll come back. If you can talk nice to me, we can have this conversation. It's that kind of thing that you matter to and that you can show empathy. You want to hear what they have to say, but you can't be the whipping post forever. And it doesn't even make the other person better if you are. Okay. Do seek help. So I'm talking to us that have the friends and family. So I'm saying with us, with them. Do seek help and don't just pray for the ailment to go away, but definitely pray while you seek and use help. Not trying to shoulder the burden on ourselves if we're dealing with someone. Yes, being the main, yeah, the main point is that you're going to need help outside of yourself, most likely. Or when, I guess the way to know it would be when you feel like this is more than you can handle, it's more than you can handle. And so seek help. Yeah. And that could look like a lot of different things that could look like counseling that could look like medicine that could look like calling the police to be honest it could look like talking to a friend you guys us talking to our friends to get support for us to go back in this caregiving role it could look like medication for everybody including the caregivers you never know so seeking help Do find other people that can walk this journey with you as the caregiver because loving someone with mental and behavioral health issues is extremely hard. Don't expect everyone to understand. Therefore, you won't be able to seek support and advice from just anyone. You might very likely end up needing counseling and medicine yourself, like I said, after prolonged stress of the caregiving experience, and it's okay. If you do, you do. Do normalize the use of medication for some mental health issues or 
Okay, so this is a tricky one. Do normalize the use of medication for some mental health issues or do not wear your own glasses when you drive home tonight. Let that sink in. Do you okay, help? you're going to have to elaborate on that. <laughs> you have contacts in. I have contacts in. Do you have contacts in? I have in? contacts in. We have peepers for reading. Right, so we're all treating our lack of vision and we don't have any problem with it. And I wouldn't tell you to just trust in the Lord to heal your vision, even though he can. And that will be fabulous, but it's very accepted. We'll just wear our contacts. But if you came to me and you said, I'm really struggling with anxiety for such a long time, and I'm panicking, and I can't even go to work, and I throw up every day, and I'm so sick, and we talk, and we decide that medication might be good for you, you and a whole bunch of other people might say, oh, no, I don't think medicine, not not mental health medicine. So I'm just saying do normalize the use of medication for some mental health issues or stop treating your own stuff like glasses, high blood pressure, diabetes, eczema. Do understand that the brain is an organ that produces thoughts and behavior. So when the organ or the parts of or parts of the organ aren't working correctly, you may get unhealthy thoughts and behaviors. Don't tell your loved one to just stop it. Seek treatment. Do have hope. There is a lot of treatment available, even though it can be hard to navigate, so don't give up. One more, do practice acceptance of things that you have no control over, that you can't fix. Accept that hard things happen, and don't isolate yourselves. That's my list of do's and don'ts. That's good. That's a good list. One thing that I love about your dream about having Christian counselors around that are expert. I mean, they're mental health experts, but they're also Christians. And so it's great when we see the church partnering with professional mental health counselors and professionals, but are still faith-based as well. Mel, tell us what some of your resources are okay. that you have for us. Sure, sure. If you or someone you love is having persistent difficulties with mental health, which is like more than two weeks of symptoms or recurrent bouts of symptoms, then start at least by talking to your family doctor because they can start to get a baseline with you and either provide treatment for you or give referrals to someone that can help you navigate that. And there's lots of counseling resources in person, online, insurance covered or self-paid. Don't be afraid, even with what's going on, because um, it's very easy if you go into an office and you don't feel comfortable there to just, you know, don't come back. It's okay. It's don't, don't feel bad for the therapist. Prioritize yourself yeah. and look for the person that does help you get where you're going. Yeah. Newlife.com has a daily radio program that will give you lots of great help if you just listen long enough so you can get on New Life or on, I think they have an app, but you could just listen to the, it's a daily call-in program. People ask all kinds of questions and Christian therapists respond to the questions. So literally if you listen long enough, your question will show up and then you can get some good guidance there. My current favorite podcast that integrates faith in therapy is called The Place We Find Ourselves. All right. Well, we really appreciate you coming on our live podcast again. 
And I think she's coming back for three more sessions. Three. Is that what oh. she said today? That's another podcast. Three. And so. I still need the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. I know. I'm waiting for that. I told Beth that I feel like getting the same person back all the time is boring no. and monotonous. Oh, but we so like you guys like her. Was she helpful? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us, and we're. We'll get you scheduled for the next ones. <laughs> so Mel will be back on the month of love. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> with updates. With updates. Oh, with updates. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.